This is episode number four, How to Stand Up for What You Believe in, with Liberal Democrat Member of Parliament, Tom Brake. Welcome to the Unconventionalist podcast. My name is Mark Roost, former overweight corporate dropout turned award-winning men's health activist, social entrepreneur, published author and certified life coach. In each episode, I bring you an inspiring story or message to help you take action. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the show begin. This episode is brought to you by my book, It's Not You, It's Me, How to Break Up with Your Job, Make a Difference and Live a Life You Love. You may have seen the quote, follow your dreams or follow your passion, thrown around social media. And as much as I think there's some truth in that, I always ask myself, what happens when it just feels like things aren't working out? When it feels like the hardest thing to do ever is to keep going and we, as a result, feel like a failure. When I decided to launch a fully-fledged online campaign to find my dream job back in 2012, a lot of people around me, including friends and family, doubted me and thought it was a silly idea. And yet, I still went for it. And in the end, it paid off. And that's exactly why I wrote It's Not You, It's Me. Because I wanted to share with you my story in hopes to inspire you to do something about your current situation and take some form of action. It's always scary to take the first step. I know too well but it's the only way to get you moving forward. To get your hands on a copy of my first book, you can head over to Amazon. And if you want a limited edition signed copy by yours truly, go to www.marklaroos.com forward slash book and use the checkout code podcast to get a 10% discount. Drawing comparisons between being a politician and launching a business may come across as a little weird. Yet having to deal with uncertainty managing different stakeholders, facing setbacks on a daily basis, crafting a vision that sometimes only you can see, standing up for what you believe in and being willing to defend your values over and over again is something both share day in, day out. And when you start comparing election debates with pitching to investors, you can quickly see that both have to be compelling and convincing the people across the table that they are the right horse to back up to do the job. If you followed the 2015 elections in the UK that took place on the 7th of May 2015, then you'll know that the Liberal Democrats suffered the worst losses in its history, losing 48 of its 56 MPs, leading Nick Clegg, its party leader, to resign. But if you look at a heat map of the election results, you'll notice that there's one orange spot in the London area amongst the sea of red and dotted blues. And that one seat was held by today's guest, Tom Brake, Lib Dem MP for Colston and Wallington. At only 53 years old, Tom Brake is now the longest-serving Liberal Democrat Member of Parliament, having spent 18 years in Parliament, something Tom wished it wasn't so. I was curious to speak with Tom Brake to understand what was his secret source for being the only Liberal Democrat MP elected in the London area. In a short interview, we talked about overcoming setbacks, how busy politicians stay healthy the power of social media for political outreach, and why being featured in the May 2015 issue of Men's Health magazine may have helped Tom with his fifth term earlier this year. First of all, Tom, thank you so much for seeing me today. No problem. I know you're a busy man. Um, Before we get started, um, I was looking into your background. 
And what I thought was really interesting is that you've clearly always been uh, engaged and involved from university days when you were, I believe, involved with Amnesty International. Yep, yep, still a member. Still a member, yeah, and also Greenpeace. Um, and to something I hadn't realised, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you are currently the longest running MP in the Lib Dem party uh, when you got elected in 1997. That is a fact. Um, yeah. It's not a fact I'm particularly proud of but, um, <laughs> and wish it wasn't the case. But yes, I'm the longest now, now the longest serving Liberal Democrat member of Parliament, uh, having spent 18 years in Parliament. Yeah. And so tell us a bit more about how did you get involved in politics and, and why get into politics in the first place? Well, I got involved in politics actively um, from about uh, 21 onwards, and that was after I'd finished university. And at the time in the UK, Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister. Uh, she was a, a controversial figure, like Marmite. You either loved her or you loathed her, and I fell into the loathing category <laughs> and thought that rather than throwing whatever I was holding in my hand at the time at the telly every time she came on, it was better to actually get stuck in, get involved and try and make changes politically uh, to get a different government. Mm. And so you went against a Tory um opposition, I believe, in 97, and, and you've been holding that seat. This is your fifth term. That's right. So I, I stood for the first time in Carshorton and Wallington in 1992, Correct, yeah. came second, uh, but then in 1997 I won the seat and obviously was re-elected in 2001, 2005, 2010 and 2015. So let's talk about the defeat then, or oh, if we can call it a defeat. How was it for you to run and not get the seat? And was there a moment in, in time where you thought, well, maybe this isn't cut out for me, maybe I should do this? Or did that just give you the energy to go back again in 97? Well, when I fought the... or when I was selected to fight the seat in 1989, the Conservative Member of Parliament at the time had a majority of just, uh, just under 14,500 votes. Mm. So I was quite realistic in fighting the election in 1992. I didn't think we could win it in one go. I always thought it was going to take two attempts, so that's what I had. That, that was the target that I'd set for myself. I would fight it twice. And, of course, in 1997, many Liberal Democrat members of Parliament and a much greater number of Labour MPs were helped by the fact that the Conservative government was re-elected in 1992, but mm. with a very small majority, which over the following couple of years they actually lost through, uh, through deaths and losing, losing by-elections. And that, that, that Conservative government was ranked by scandal after scandal. And people may not remember that John Major, who was then the Prime Minister, introduced a policy of back-to-basics, where this was about moral values and a, a moral Conservative party. Uh, the only problem for him was that then sort of virtually every other month it was found that one of his ministers or one of his MPs uh, had had a, a child by someone who wasn't their wife. So that the back-to-basics policy fell apart because the, the personal morals of many of his uh, cap members of his cabinet didn't seem to be quite in keeping with what they were putting forward as a policy. And that's, and that's often actually... And just, 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 to, just to get you there, it seems to me, and this is you know maybe because of the TV series like um, House of Cards and films like In the Loop, there's this kind of um, idea of a battle war going out behind the scenes in politics. Um, is that something that's kind of accurate in some kind of way or is that something that's just, oh, it's just all fiction and there's not really... Well, I think it depends on the personalities, first mm. of all. So uh, I think there is more than enough evidence to confirm that 
uh, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair and their respective teams were at each other's throats a lot of the time. I think that's, that is clear. What is also clear, however, that the, is that the coalition government, there were many examples of Liberal Democrats and Conservative ministers working quite effectively together. Mm. Um, something that, when I was, I was a minister in the previous government for three years, was quite a surprise to me because, of course, the reason I came into politics over 30 years ago was a, as a reaction to the person who was then the Conservative Prime Minister, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, right. and then ended up working with Conservative ministers in government. Mm. But I think what this demonstrates is that actually uh, no single party has has all the best policies and sometimes there's common ground on which parties can work together in government mm. uh, to deliver what I think certainly from an economic point of view has been quite a, a, a turnaround for the UK economy which is now growing uh, more strongly than any other comparable uh, industrialised nation. Right, and there's, and there's something which, now this may not be a fact, but you're one of the first uh, politicians that I saw actively engage in social media now, this is way back when, and I remember um, and I remember like a few cases when I was seeing you, for example, openly speaking about the expenses scandal that was going on. And I also remember uh, you talking about when the, the riots were happening and you were, you were kind of always there at the forefront. Um, do you think that is one of the reasons why you have managed to hold on to your seat for the fifth term this time? Is that, do you think, what is one of you? Because what, what I'm trying to get at is, what's the secret source behind Tom Brake? Hmm. No one's really done the analysis yet on the impact of social media on election campaigns. I think it's still in its infancy, even though I suppose social media has been used in election campaigns probably for the last 10 years. But in practice, it's very difficult to demonstrate that that level of activity translates into, into votes directly. However, when a Member of Parliament has a majority of just under one and a half thousand, which is a very small majority. It's very clear that you will pick up small numbers of votes for all of the work that you're doing, including the social media work. Mm. Yeah, and so one thing I actually also saw was that you were featured in Men's Health magazine in May uh, for uh, taking part in a fitness challenge. Yes, yeah, and um, uh, that was good fun, and maybe that was one of the reasons why I won the election. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be serious, I think that having good health um, and keeping relatively fit is actually essential. I mean, it's essential if you're a Member of Parliament or really in any other, any other field of work, because being a Member of Parliament is very much a, a seven-day-a-week vocation, and unless you've got good health, you can't. You you haven't got the stamina to cope with that. And um, right. if you if you're out of operation for a week as a result of illness, then there's going to be a huge amount of work to catch up when you get back to back to your desk with the 500 emails that have come in that week that um, then need to be looked at. So having good health is essential, really. Yeah, and that's something that so many people struggle. May it be from people running their businesses, people working. It's finding the time. How do you find the time? Because you're fit. I mean, you, you look in good shape. And uh, how do you manage to find the time to stay healthy despite all the requirements that your job takes? Hmm. Well, I do it by building exercise into my, my normal day. I think that's the only way that you can do it, really. And I'm in, the, in some ways in the fortunate position of uh, being able to commute into Westminster. So I, I walk... 
uh, from home to the station in Wallington, catch the train to Victoria, walk from Victoria to Westminster and back again. Add to that, quite there's a, a large amount of walking that happens within the Palace of Westminster because when the division bell goes and you've got eight minutes to get to the chamber, that's that's a walk and walking around to meetings. It's surprising how much that adds up. So if you actually build that in, so you're not thinking, oh, I've got to put my tracksuit on and my trainers and go out running. Actually, you're just walking to and from. And the other thing I do is that a lot of the time when I'm in either Carshot Monson doing constituency business, I'll do that by bike because it's a small constituency. I can get round it very quickly. It's good for visibility. Uh, not not so much not so much so when I'm having an argument with the driver who's just cut me up on my bike, but when it's not good for visibility, see see me shouting at people. But but otherwise, it's really about building exercise yeah, into your part. daily life. Right. Yeah. Um, what, one of the last questions I want to ask you is: um, if you had an advice for someone that was thinking about getting into politics and they may be hesitating, not quite sure if it's for them, what would you want to tell them? What I want to say is that politics is one of the most uh, effective ways of influencing the country's agenda. So if you have strong views, if you're unhappy about the way things are run, if you'd like to see the country move in a different direction, then being involved politically is one of the best ways of, of trying to achieve that. I would not be put off by the bad press that politicians get. Overwhelmingly, the, the politicians that I've met in Westminster of all political parties have all been perfectly decent people. Like anywhere else, there's been the odd rotten apple and some of those have had to go to prison as a result of the expenses scandal. But overwhelmingly, people are in it because they want to improve people's lives. They have different views, clearly, different political parties about how that's going to be achieved. But overwhelmingly, that is what drive, drive people in politics. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'll link below the podcast or your social media because I know you're active. Um, are you training or preparing for any event coming up? Any triathlons? Any uh, marathons? I think what I'm going to do is I, I want to go uh, do again the Blenheim Palace. Tri it's a half triathlon, Blenheim Palace half triathlon, which probably means next year now because the first time I did it, I did it without having focused enough on the swimming. And if you start the first leg of swimming by breaststroke, you're knackered for the other two, the other two legs, for the, the cycling and the running. So I've actually stepped up my swimming quite a lot. So I think by, uh, I think it's June or July next year, I think I'll be in a position to do a much better time than I did in the first one. So I think that's what I'm, I'm setting my sights on. Brilliant. Tom Brick, thank you so much for being on the show and wishing you all the very best for this fifth term. And we look forward to seeing you across social media and hopefully in the half triathlon well great thank you thank you for interviewing me cheers Tom and there you have it folks a little something different what I loved about Tom's message was that you have to make exercising part of your day not an option or a bonus but an integral part of your day as that's one of the best sustainable ways to make sure you stay healthy on your journey to greatness I hope to bring you more exciting guests in the coming episodes so if you know someone you'd like me to interview please get in touch via Twitter at Mark LaRoost or via Facebook on facebook.com forward slash Mark LaRoost or if you're an old school kind of girl or guy simply go to www.marklaroost.com and send me a message remember to subscribe on iTunes and if you're feeling generous go ahead and rate the show as it really helps me spread the word and get more amazing guests to share their message with you today's episode was edited by Simon Barron 
and the podcast cover art was designed by the unique and only Lorna Morris. Until we speak next time, you know what time it is. It's time to take action. <laughs>